What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. This week, I am your host, Matt Guest. I am licking my wounds, drowning in my sorrows with my co-host, Matt Morris. Our football season may be over, friend, but we have a lot to talk about. Maybe a lot more fun to be had now that our team is dead. How are you? I'm good, man. My my fantasy savior is slowly starting to climb. I got that one victory out of the way. Uh, now I get to go up against the best team with no buys, uh, who is projected 107 points and has Josh Jacobs, who we will touch on later. Uh, but I still think I have a chance working some trade magic, trying to, no one seems to like Matt Morris's team. Uh, that's kind of a bummer, but, um, yeah, dude, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine and I was saying I'm in four leagues now I'm 30 going on 31 And this is like the first time in my life where I'm really feeling like fantasy football isn't as enjoyable as it has been in the past. Hmm. Um, Four teams is just a lot to manage. I also took a lot of mistakes this year. Took Javante in two leagues. Those leagues, you know, being one of the 14 that I just spoke about, it's very hard to overcome that. Uh, But I think it was more or less taking Russell Wilson. Um, (laughs) I think part of that is why my frustration with the fantasy season isn't really, you know, at at a stellar level. But um, but baseball's kind of kept me engaged. Um, I'm excited to get talking about that. Yeah, I mean, we got the World Series coming up here. And yeah, it, I feel like fantasy season does suck when you miss hard, you know, and you're like, mm-hmm. you're right about 70% of the things, but kind of go all in on the 30% that you get wrong. Me last year was DeAndre Hopkins, right? Guys never missed any games in his career. Killed me. Happens, dude. Happens to the best of us. But you were right on Brees Hall. You were right on Kenneth Walker. You're right on Damian Pierce. So, I mean, even though Brees is out and we'll get to him later, your team is still nice. And you snagged all the running backs for Carolina in our big league that we play in. And, um, you know, you never know, bro. It's it's a long season, even for me and my somber start as a Packer fan here. Like, anything really can happen. Do I believe that it will for Green Bay and maybe your fantasy team? Mm-hmm. Probably not. But, dude, like, anything could happen, right? Mixon and Chubb for me could go out and my season could be over. Joe Burrow, like, it's football, dude. It's We have a lot of time left, even though it kind of feels like the sky is falling for certain situations for your favorite team in the NFL or if you're sitting like you at 2-5, and five, just like, you got to win out. Well, man, I'll tell you, on that, on that note, um, this is kind of a crazy comment, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Giants don't make the playoffs. Right. Uh, we're, you know, we're pounding the drum right now at, at their, you know, epic performance to start the season. And they've had some nice wins. I'm not not saying they're not a good team, but like they have to play the Eagles, the Cowboys. Like, you know, they have to continue this battle all season long. And same thing with like fantasy. Like it's it's early, right? Like we've seen teams before kind of go into an early hot start and completely fall off the face of the earth. And I don't want to say that, like, you know, boohoo New York, but, like, let's look at this. They play Seattle this week. We're going to talk about that a little bit later, right? They get an easy matchup with Houston. They play Detroit. That's not an easy game. Dallas, Washington, uh, Philly, Washington again, but they have to finish against Minnesota, Indy, and Philadelphia. Like, sure, they have a couple of easy wins to me in there, which is both Washington never know them, man. and Houston and Detroit, but you never know. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, you know, we'll talk about that matchup against uh, Seattle later in the episode today. Yeah, and I mean, you're a Saquon away, you're a Brees Hall going down away from yep. shit not being good. You know, Packers mm-hmm. lose Alan Lazard. You know, they who are they going to throw the ball to? Right, like it, it, it's a problem. We'll get to them, but let's start with the World Series, man. Your guy. Bryce Harper with the home run of his career sends the Philadelphia Phillies to the World Series, beating the San Diego Padres in five games. They won all three games in Philly like they were supposed to. Um, They're obviously the feel good story of the Major League Baseball postseason. They are the hottest team in baseball right now. I know the Astros are undefeated and haven't lost, but no team's hotter in my opinion than the Philadelphia Phillies right now. Um, we got a hell of a matchup, bro. They're not starting till Friday. We record usually super late Tuesday night. Um, going into Wednesday, the podcast comes out, you know, on the Thursdays. But man, we got a lot of time for the Phillies pitchers to rest up, but at the same time for their bats to cool down a little bit. So give us a little bit of World Series preview. I know you actually really like Houston, but obviously Bryce Harper is your favorite player. So I would assume you're rooting for Philly. What are you thinking going into this series? Who do you think comes out victorious? Yeah, I'm torn on this one. I, I mean, I love Bryce Harper. Um, what he's done this postseason so far, batting over 400 OPS around, I think, 1,300, five home runs. It's been incredible. And like these are the moments that we've been hoping for out of, out of Mike Trout in Anaheim, right? Seeing one of the best players in the league actually accelerate and play at the top of his performance when the lights are the brightest in the postseason. And we haven't gotten that opportunity. And this, back to the resume builder for Bryce Harper, yep. if he can do this this season and moving forward, playing at a high level in the postseason, when all things are said and done, you know, I think we'll look at his resume and Trout's resume and say, well, <clears throat> one, you know, didn't meet their full potential and the other did. Um, there was a fun clip of the Phillies owner after the celebration talking to Bryce Harper and, and telling him that he thinks he's underpaying him. <laughs> and the irony behind that with Bryce Harper getting you know $330 million, it's not something that we ever say. And we've talked about that kind of rooted back in baseball season about these big contracts, how we don't expect them to be given out as much anymore because they just don't play out. But when you really look at the age that Harper signed that contract, plus the prime years that you're going to get out of him, possibly a World Series ring, how could you not be satisfied with spending $330 million? Uh, but on the tail end of that, like I really want a championship for Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker was I in know. Washington, right? Like how many teams he was in San Francisco? How many teams has Dusty managed and managed really well, you know, really respected manager in this league and just come up short. And I do think that Houston's team is better, but back to that momentum uh, comment that I made a few weeks ago and we posted on TikTok, momentum is a real thing. And I think sometimes more so in baseball than any other sport, um, because when your bats are hot, when you're confident, when you're seeing the ball well, doesn't really matter who's on the mound. And I think that's what we're going to see game one. Verlander is my expected starter for Houston in game one. I would assume Wheeler has enough rest coming off Sunday's performance. Uh, You get your two ones matching up. And then you get the momentum of the Philly bats. You look at Reese Hoskins had four hits in the NLCS. All of them were <laughs> home runs, right? Schwarber has been playing at a decent level. Again, money well spent. Nick Castellanos has gone a little cold, uh, but I expect them to jump on Verlander game one. 
And really the big takeaway for me in this series, strip all the offense away, strip all the balance away. It is Philly's bullpen against Houston's bullpen. Philly's bullpen has been doing their job. Alvarado has been absolutely fantastic from the left side. But I do think Houston has the advantage here in the bullpen. And Houston has not lost a game yet this postseason. I um, know, be, dude. That's so crazy. It's crazy. And, and you know, there people are talking about a, a perfect, you know, run here. It's just not going to happen in my opinion. Philly's a very, very good team and they're hot. That's something that's, you know, dangerous. Also, Nola Wheeler are great. Um, you know, outside of the bullpen matchup here, we do have question marks behind Aaron Nola. Suarez has been pretty decent. We saw what happened to that kid. I don't even know his name because he came into the fantasy season late as well as the Phillies rotation. He got lit up early against San Diego. Um, big question mark, right? Where you look across the the aisle there, you have Verlander Valdez, um, Christian Javier, you have Lance McCullers, right? You have some really, really strong pitchers. So Three, four starters, bullpen, I think, is heavily in Houston's favor here. I think the momentum, obviously, is in Philly's favor. Um, Bryce Harper is hands down the best player in the series. I think Jordan's been playing okay and has, obviously, the opportunity to play really well in the World Series. But if we're going to talk about best player right now, it's easily Bryce Harper. It's not close. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And I think it's going to be an interesting series for um, for Houston because, yeah, they on paper, they should be better. But once again, two years in a row, they have all the pressure on them. Right. Just like last year going into the World Series, I was like, yeah, you know, Atlanta has been a good story. Jock Peterson, uh, Solaire, right. Freddie Freeman. They've been playing great, but Houston's so much better. They have Jordan. They have Correa. They have, you know, the team they had last year. And lo and behold, they end up losing, right? And you just can't believe it sometimes, but all it takes is that one guy. Who is it going to be Castellanos? And I think, how do I want to say this? I think Philly has those guys that can be like, oh my God, that's your Jorge Soler this year. That's the you know, World Series MVP we didn't see coming into the series where obviously Jordan, uh, Bryce Harper are, are front runners, the guys that we expect to do well. But who's the guy that's going to hit two or three home runs? Who's the guy that's going to hit 400? Who's the guy that's going to have the OBP over 500 and just that nagging person every time they come to the the the, the, the to bat? Or who is the pitcher that's dominant, right? Is it Verlander? Is it Wheeler? Does he keep stepping up the way he has? Um, I don't know, but if I had to lean to a side that would have the unsung hero, it wouldn't be sitting in Houston. It would be in Philadelphia. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. You you misspoke. You said Correa, which I think is funny because well, I, well, I, I mentioned him from like my my what I thought last year. I know he's not on mm-hmm. the team anymore. I meant just like last year going into the World Series, Correa, Altuve, Bregman, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, this team is way 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 better than uh, the Atlanta Braves. Is where I was going with that. Well, yeah, but the reason I think it's funny is because they, in my opinion, have someone that's arguably playing at a higher level this postseason than Correa did last year, which is Jeremy Pena. I mean, he played very well in the ALCS. I expect him, actually, when you talk about unsung heroes, it might be for me Pena because he's a guy that kind of goes under the uh, the radar. Uh, The expectation isn't too high on him because he's a rookie. You know, Altuve and Bregman and Jordan and Kyle Tucker, like those guys are household names. But Pena, he was a a thorn in the Yankees side. And I think he could easily be a thorn right now against the Phillies because you are so focused on the top of that lineup. Um, You know, maybe it's a Chase McCormick, right? We we saw that home run against against Garrett Cole. Um, I think ultimately we need to see 
Bryce Harper have help. Like Schwarber has to be able to hit at least 250 in this World Series. He's got to be able to provide some power. Um, Reese Hoskins, you know, what we saw to those four home runs were momentum changing home runs. And we they're going to need more of that. But four hits being four home runs, like that's great. But you got to be able to put the ball in play a little bit more. Um, we saw a very magical run so far from the Phillies. And like at some point that ends and good baseball has to prevail. Uh, I need to see a little bit more on Nick Castellanos because he can be that guy that can back up Harper I and keep games close if that momentum starts to sway a little bit. I completely agree. I, I think Castellanos is the guy. I think that's the one who changes everything. Um, and I think the biggest thing for Philly is they got to get this series back to Philly 1-1. If they somehow, some way, win one of these games, bring this to Philadelphia, that crowd, that I think they have the best home field advantage in the postseason right now. Obviously, there's only two teams left, but if they can get that thing back there, 1-1, have a chance to win. Is, is it 2-3-2 or is it 2-2-1-1-1? Do you know? I'm pretty sure it's 2-3-2-1-1-1. Um, Okay. Pretty sure it's two two one one one. Yeah, I mean, but, if they can if yeah. they can put themselves in a position to have a clinching game in Philly somehow down the road, <laughs> that's that's what they need to do. Yeah, I mean, if they don't if they don't win a game in Houston, it's over. Um, that's that's the lack of confidence I have in that rotation for Philadelphia. Um, I, I've spoken multiple times about how I feel about Lance McCullers. Uh, Christian Javier has pitched very well. Uh, has put away stuff as well. Uh, yeah, if, if they, if they go back to Philadelphia, they're in trouble. And if they don't win a game in Houston, my guess would have been some of the bats went cold. Some of that momentum slowed down. And this is the thing with this Phillies team. And this is the danger in having home run hitters in your lineup. You know, when they're hot, you're winning every game, but when you're, when they're cold, you're done for. And we saw that earlier in the season with the Phillies. I mean, they fired their manager because of I it. mean, yeah, I was just going to say they were my most disappointing team mm-hmm. to start the season when we were and kids were just bashing me like, oh, why do you think they'd be good? It's like, huh, look, fucking now they're in the World Series, <laughs> dude. Like they spent what they had like the fifth highest payroll. And we did that episode early in the season going through who was worth the money, who wasn't and all this stuff. It was like there was five Phillies on there. <laughs> what do you mean? Yep. They're not disappointing. Come on. Well, and Real Muto has really turned it around too. I, I, you know, I, I think back to earlier this season, June, July, when I was kind of looking at his numbers, and it was like, man, like you, you paid this guy all this money, and just not performing. But you know, his ability to call games, control the staff, and now in the postseason, he's getting big hits, he's scoring big runs. Uh, that's something too. You know, just to add on to this, this good lineup. Um, Alec Bohm again hits lefties very, very well. Has had a strong performance in the postseason, timely hitting. Both of these teams are good teams. This is going to be a quality World Series, and should be. I, I'm, yeah, I'm excited for that because you know this isn't going to be the juggernaut of the Dodgers, and I'm I'm over that. I don't want to see the Dodgers anymore. Uh, I want to see a team like Philadelphia that deserves it, much like Atlanta did last year. Yeah, and I mean after what the the Astros did to the Yankees, I feel the same way, you know, like say what you want about the Astros, talk the shit you want, but they're homegrown, bro. (laughs) Like they do it the right way. They've brought all those guys up. Yeah. They cheated. They got caught. Get over it, dude. Like I tweeted out, Hey, the Astros are actually beating people. Like we need to start giving them their flowers. And of course people are like, I'll never forget. They cheated. They're so good. Like they're a really, really, really good baseball team, man. Listen, People wouldn't wouldn't be talking about the Patriots this in the same breath had they not won a championship after Spygate. 
Right. Um, and they won and they won and they won and no one gives a shit because they're like, well, okay. It was like, clearly it wasn't that. And all the Astros have to do is get this title. I mean, they've been in the World Series for the last six years. Right. They have been dominating the regular season. And when you look at their roster construction, sure, it did all start from the regime that was part of the cheating, but you can't just cheat by scouting. So, yeah, so yeah, I, I re- that's why I'm rooting for the, the Astros in this because I do feel like there's a lot of just that needs to come back to some of these players and like reputation that needs to be salvaged. I think Dusty Baker is a great manager and deserves to be the one to finally get that championship, but also put aside the cheating scandals, right? Like. Altuve's career can be resurrected then. We can talk about a Hall of Fame possible ballot for him because, hey, you know, you did do it after the fact. But Altuve needs to have a good series too. He's getting older, right? He's not the guy he was. Like, we need some big hits from him as well to remember him in a different light. Same thing with Bregman. All right, so we had a uh, an interesting week seven in the NFL this week. Um, we're going to change it up this week on the podcast a little bit. We're going to do recap like we normally do, our thoughts um, on what happened, maybe a little bit of a segment on this week. We're going to talk about quarterbacks and the changing of the guard. But then we'll get into week eight and kind of just key matchups, who to look out for, who we like, some of the best matchups of the week, players versus defense, defense versus players, different things like that. But Matt, let's start with, I mean, we're not even going to do a heavy Packers pod here again because I feel like we've been barking up the same tree for three weeks, but we do need to talk a little bit about Brady's and Rodgers' regression and how this is going to lead into our quarterback conversation that there is a changing of the guard going on right now in the NFL. Younger quarterbacks are passing the goats, right? The rate, the Brady, the Rodgers. Brady's teammates don't seem to be playing for him. Rodgers' teammates are on the precipice of not playing for him and maybe giving up on their season eight weeks in. So what are your thoughts, Matt, on the struggles between Brady and Rodgers? While I think they're both struggling, I think the struggles are different for each. So what do you think about the two legends of the game, my you know top two quarterbacks coming into this season? Um, what's going on with them? Well, I, th- I think you're. I think for Brady, you're seeing regression. Um, you know, I, I've been saying that for a few years now, and there's a reason I hold him in my rankings and have in a different classification than yours, because that NFC uh, Championship game against Green Bay a few years ago showed me who Brady was. He's a guy that didn't have a complete zip on the ball down the field anymore. You know, decision making, he was forcing passes. I mean, Jair picked him off twice in that game. That for me was the the kind of the stone uh, in the ground for the rest of his career. And I would always evaluate him differently because of that. And the the basics of what I'm going to say here is simple. He has Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Aaron Rodgers had Randall Cobb. That's it. You know, now we know that Alan Lazard is not a number one at all. He's a role player. Bobby Tunyon coming back off a torn ACL. Randall Cobb at the age of 31 or 32, who, you know, ultimately hurt his ankle. And a rookie fourth round pick who's played well, but is still a rookie and he drops passes. Um, on top of that, we're not utilizing Aaron Jones. So I don't necessarily, and I'm not ready to say that Aaron Rodgers is not still an elite quarterback because he just doesn't have enough around him. Now, I do think Green Bay makes a move, maybe multiple moves. We will be able mm. to discuss that later in the year if that happens. But 
Brady has absolutely no excuses. He has two elite wide receivers and an offensive line that's shaky. I get that. Rodgers' offensive line has also been shaky. But also, they have an elite defense, both teams. Both defenses haven't necessarily been playing at a high level. I will say that the Bucks defense has been playing better. Brady has dropped out of my top eight now. Uh, Rodgers is still in my top five. Yeah, after we were going through the rankings, and we'll run through our top five here in a second. <clears throat> I still have him five in, in the top five as well, Rodgers. Um, I, I, I went on TikTok and argued with some kids for like an hour Sunday night about how Rodgers needs to take more blame, and I don't take that back. But after doing some further evaluation, I watched the game a little bit more. I watched a lot, or I went on Twitter and looked at a lot of the pundits for the Packers. And yeah, the receivers are playing bad. And it's not even the drops, it's the lack of communication. It's the unknowing where to go, what to run, how to, you know, when Rodgers is rolling out of the pocket, what to do and make, you know, an easier throw for him. I still think Rodgers is having accuracy issues. I still think he's having terrible decision making issues as well. But what comes with the terrible decision making in all those issues is a lack of trust, right? And if you have a lack of trust, you're not going to be good. And I've been watching Aaron Rodgers now for 14 years or however long he's been starting. And if he doesn't trust you, he doesn't go to you, nor will he be successful going to you. And unfortunately, he doesn't trust every guy on his team right now, which is why you're seeing issues with the Green Bay Packers. Now with Brady, I think you're right. I was watching that Carolina game. I had some fantasy interest in there, pulled it up on my phone. I was like, all right, let's check this out, see what's going on. He's lost. He's lost the zip. He's lost the timing. And you're 100% right. If you've lost the timing and the zip with Evans, screw Godwin. With mm -hmm. Evans as your guy, I think Evans is top five guy. I do. Like Evans is a, the most underrated receiver in the league, in my opinion. If you can't get it done with him against a team like Carolina, can't score a touchdown. Yeah, he's regressed. And it's shown week after week, and it's getting worse. Well, and it's funny. You look at these aging quarterbacks, and I, I want to uh, think about the pass to Romeo Dobbs and double coverage for a first down this past weekend. If you're not a Packer fan, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Rodgers put it on Romeo Dobbs. It was a low throw, intentional low throw. Romeo was supposed to pick it ultimately close off the ground and be able to secure the catch. Um, it's a catch, I think, that should have been made. The reason I bring it up is because Bailey Zapp last night put the same exact throw, not on the ground. He hit the guy right in the numbers, and he threw right. it like it was a Roger Clements fastball. I don't even know how he got it in there that fast. And the funny thing about Zappi is like when we were talking about pre-draft tape, I didn't see a ton of zip from Zappi. One of my concern is he floated a lot of balls. And that's the difference in youth and obviously age. Um, Rodgers now obviously has a thumb issue. You know, I still think he has a good arm. There's a lot of complaining there, but – I genuinely think Tom Brady's arm has regressed uh, and it's going to continue to cause issues all season long. And we're going to talk about running backs in a little bit here, but both of these teams aren't leaning on their running backs on a regular week to week consistent basis the way I would like them to. And the last thing, coaching staffs both had made changes. Obviously, yeah. the coach has changed over to Bulls. Um, left, which is still the offensive coordinator, so that should help. But the Green Bay offensive scheme lost almost all of its pieces. It's quarterbacks coach. It's offensive coordinator. Um, I'm sure I'm missing people here, but it's a completely new scheme. So for people to be not communicating well on the field, I understand it for Green Bay. Also, there isn't a talent level there to communicate with. So Rodgers gets a pass here. Brady does not. You said Rodgers in your top five. I think he's still in mine. I'll let you run through your list first. Who's your top five quarterbacks in the NFL right now as a week eight? 
Yeah, I mean, mine's mine's simple. It's, it stays very close to home. It's what I had in the preseason. It's Josh Allen, number one. Patrick Mahomes, number two. And it's very, very, very close, right? Uh, coming in at number three, I think now Joe Burrow's season has turned around. Number four was hard for me. It was between either Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson. I wanted to pick a physically running, gifted uh, quarterback. I chose Lamar, finishing it off, Aaron Rodgers. And I'll tell you what, Jalen Hurts is pushing at that six. He's knocking on the door. It's close. Yeah, for me, it's it's right there in the wheelhouse as well. I still have Mahomes over Allen, but I agree with you. I don't think this is like a debate that, oh, Matt, you're so wrong or I'm so right. Like, I think it's personal preference at this point on who you'd rather have throwing the ball and leading the team. Uh, those two are clear cut tier one, and I think everyone else is below them. Heading tier two is 100% Joe Burrow, in my opinion, as well. I think he's really impressed me. I was interested to see how he'd bounce back after the Super Bowl um, loss. He's looked really, really good. He had a lot of struggles, was still getting sacked. It looks like that offensive line is coming together, and I expect them to have a really nice run here at the end of the season. Um, I have Rodgers four still because I put some mm. thought into this. I still would take Rodgers over Lamar Jackson. And I love Lamar. Don't get me wrong. But I think go to throw, need a throw, need a play. I'm still taking Rodgers over Lamar at this point. I've got Lamar five. And I agree with you. Jalen Hurts is barking up the tree as well. Justin Herbert fell out of the top five for me. I'm seeing a little bit of regression in his decision-making in his game. He's also playing with cracked ribs, so yeah. that doesn't help as well. Um, also, not having a healthy Keenan Allen. Mike Williams just got hurt. Things aren't lining up as well for him, but I also am see- I'm not seeing what I want to see out of him. I like Hurts, Lamar, and I still like Rodgers better than him. Well, and I want to preface it, too, because um, you know, from, from a just a strictly performance standpoint, obviously – We've seen a better season from Jalen Hurts. For me, the way I evaluate my top five and always will is if I replace player three or C with player D, you know, what would that be like? So if we just look at this from a Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers perspective here, I think that Aaron Rodgers plays even worse with the Ravens than he does with Mm. the Packers. And I think Lamar probably plays the same on Green Bay that he does in you know Baltimore or maybe a little better because he's got Dylan and Jones Um, but that's that was also the reason that I took Josh Allen over Mahomes I think from a throwing perspective Mahomes is better but what Josh Allen can do from the running perspective you know even two three runs a game or maybe it's that touchdown that he can just put his shoulder down and get in the end zone uh, is what separates him just a little bit because we haven't seen the same kind of physicality out of Mahomes since he hurt his knee on the goal line how many years ago now. Um, but that that ultimately is how I pick it because I think you put Aaron Rodgers on Philadelphia, they're going undefeated. Um, right. I mean, yeah, you give easily. him two top 20 receivers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Plus a, an elite top five, you know, tight end and an elite offensive line and a running back that's finally emerging. Like it, it's, it's incredible. So, Jail, that's the only reason that Rodgers comes in over Jalen Hurts is because I do think from a talent perspective, we we haven't seen Jalen yet take that leap over Aaron. I like that. That's good logic too. Makes makes a lot of sense to me. All right, let's um let's get into let's get into week eight here and and see what we got. (laughs) 
week eight, we've got a lot of different matchups here. So what we're going to do, Matt's going to drive today, but we're going to have a little bit of a different segment than we normally do. We're going to go through the games that we like. Still, we're still going to touch on most of the games this week, but we're going to talk about key matchups in the game and what we're looking for, not necessarily an overall analysis of the game. Um, and then we will uh, get into our picks later at the end. So Matt, take it off. Uh, I think we got a pretty good Thursday night game. Yeah. Yeah, we have Ravens at Buccaneers. Uh, we talked a little bit about, obviously, Lamar as well as Tom Brady. But the attention for our focus in this game, that matchup preference that Matt talked about, we're looking at the running backs. You know, We're going to look at Gus Edwards' emergence coming off the injury, scoring two touchdowns last week. And then on the opposite side of the aisle, you have Leonard Fournette. I think the big takeaway for me, Matt, uh, I mentioned it earlier, is Brady needs to start leaning on Leonard Fournette in order to start getting himself back in the rhythm, going off play action, really utilizing that ground game. And I'm going to say the exact same thing for Lamar Jackson, obviously taking away a little bit of that pressure. We didn't see a great performance from J.K. Dobbins earlier this season before his injury ultimately knocked him out four to six weeks. But Gus Edwards, over the last three or four years, in and out of injury, when he's been on the field, he's been pretty productive. So I look for Gus to be a big performer in this Ravens offense, um, and I think we won't have an issue with volume like we're having with Leonard Fournette. No, I mean, the Ravens are a run-centric team. They live and die by the run, whether it's Lamar, whether it's Gus Edwards, whether it's J.K. Dobbins, whoever it is. Um, and my bigger takeaway for the two running backs in this game is I think Gus is going to start taking the pressure off Lamar. He's a running back that he trusts. They run the read option together. I love Gus. Gus is a really underrated running back in the league. I think he's definitely worthy of a starting running back position, and he's going to prove it here, and they're going to need to lean on him and run the ball successfully against this Tampa Bay defense. Look, just like the Packers, Tampa's back is against the wall. Their linebackers are going to be coming out ready to play, so they need to be able to take pressure off Lamar's arm. Andrews is hurt, so he's probably not going to be 100% out there. It's all on Gus Edwards. And at the end of the day, yeah, I agree with you. I think Leonard Fournette needs to run the ball. I think they need to lean on him a little bit more. But just like guys like Rodgers, man, maybe they get greedy and start throwing the ball too much because uh, the Ravens secondary is a little weak and it might cost Tampa Bay. I love Baltimore Thursday night. That's fun. I love I love Tampa Bay this week. Um, you said it perfectly, right? You know, Gus Edwards needs to be involved here. I talked a little bit about it, but that Tampa D hasn't done anything different, right? It is Brady's problem on this team here. That Tampa D is going to make life very, very difficult for Lamar and Gus if Mark Andrews is out. Um, I like Tampa Bay plus one and a half. I love the under here. I know that uh, the Ravens defense isn't great, but I think this will be a smaller uh, scoring game overall. Yeah, I like that. Um, I'll just probably just say I don't, I'll just take the Ravens money line. You know, I'm sure it's not much of mm -hmm. a difference, but is interesting that Tampa is an underdog at home, even though they've yeah. been struggling. I think that is quite interesting. Yeah, we're finally starting to see the spreads kind of change around a little bit here. Yeah, uh, I've been moving on, beat the fuck up. <laughs> well, it's, I, we talked about that earlier, right? We we had a lot dude. of we had a lot of good takes this season from baseball season, football season, and um, you know, it's just it's it's been a lot of ups and downs. Look at the Packers; I haven't been able to kind of fall into that window of the spread all season long because they're just disappointing. Yep. Um, moving on, we have our next fun matchup, and this is going to be more for the fantasy perspective, also kind of the emergence of possibly our next running back superstar. It's going to be the Denver Broncos against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that player is Travis Etienne Jr. Uh, having a big week last week, showing casing himself at three runs of over twenty miles per hour. And then he gets blessed 
Brees Hall, unfortunately, tears his ACL for the Jets, and the Jets need a running back. So James Robinson was shipped over there this week, ultimately opening the door for Travis Etienne, having more carries, more focal point of that offense. Uh, Matt, I love what Travis Etienne means possibly for this team, for fantasy owners. What do you think kind of his upside is moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I'm really mad at myself. I didn't trade for him a few weeks ago when I had it offered. I was like, nah, I think Robinson's still going to have a pretty big impact on that team. I didn't think that Etienne would be as good as he was, you know, honestly. And I just I just think it goes to show that pass catching is everything, man. And it's not like Robinson was a bad pass catcher, but Etienne's ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, spread the offense out. And I think he just has chemistry with Lawrence, right? I think at the end of the day, all that matters is if you're in sync. We're talking, going back to the Packers, man. And Lawrence and Etienne are in sync. They trust each other. They know how to run read options together. And man, it looks good. And Lawrence looks good, man. I don't know. I don't know what Denver is going to do. I'm waiting because I'm a Denver fantasy owner as far as the defense is concerned. How soon it'll be till that defense gives up on the offense and gives up on Russ Wilson. I think that happens if they lose in London and the rumors are already out that if they do lose, they will be shopping their best defensive player, eh, second best defensive player, Bradley Chubb, which is just sending a terrible message to the locker room. Um, a lot on the line in London, but I actually love the Jaguars here with or without Russell, even though uh, it hasn't been announced if Wilson's playing not or not. Yeah, and I just want to jump in with a little snippet there. It's interesting to hear how teams are calling on some of these players like Judy and Chubb. Um, you know, and it's it's ironic because you just gave Russ two hundred forty million dollars to be the guy to lead this team to over get the next those five guys years. Going. Yeah, correct. And you know, you lose Chubb. Like Chubb hasn't been the top five pick. I think we expected him to be, uh, but he's a good player. You know, I, I think he's absolutely a starter, and he's a guy that can impose his physical dominance in a game just doesn't necessarily always have the motor um so you're right like this game being in london also doesn't make things easy and it'll be interesting to see if etn can play against a really good defense right this is his first chance and you're going to be seeing speed leveraged against a quality foundational defense our next game matt is my second team it is my probably favorite team now since the packers have let me down so much that's going to be the Miami Dolphins facing my Detroit Lions. Uh, we have this game at a 10 o'clock. One o pride, baby. One pride. That's right. Is that and what our they say? Nine pride, one pride. One oh pride. God. I think that's raising canes, right? One pride, all, one love. One also, love. Raising some, also, some, also something you love. <laughs> I, think I, I think I probably like raising canes more than I like the Lions, but probably, you know. That's just that's a small bit. So Lions, Dolphins, uh, takeaway here. You're going to get Swift back from the shoulder injury. Uh, you are also Is he back for have, sure. He should be back. He was questionable going into last week, was supposed to play, is supposed to play this week. Um, but I think from a fantasy perspective, you kind of just have to call him a wash this season. His shoulder injury is going to limit him on the goal line. It's going to limit his scoring opportunities. Um, and I just don't think you're going to see as much volume as you would have out of him. But... This may be the first game in, I think, three weeks that Jared Goff in this Lions offense is actually going to get going. Miami hasn't had a great reputation this season on defense. Uh, I think they played pretty well against Pittsburgh this past week, better than expected. Uh, but I do think that Hawkinson and if Amon Ra can play, do you have any information on Amon Ra? 
Not yet. They uh, they don't practice um, until tomorrow. I don't know, man. I wouldn't be surprised if he got held out. I, I thought it was just something that they were taking him into the tank, going to do the test, and he'd be back. And maybe he could have been back, but with the whole Tua situation, <clears throat> if you're getting tested, teams are like, nope, we're not putting you back in the game no matter what. I don't care unless it's you know the Super Bowl or something maybe. Um, but as of right now, no, I don't have anything. Uh, he went out early in the game, first quarter, so hopefully for the Amon Ross St. Brown owners like myself uh he'll be back and i think if he is back he's gonna have a big week yeah i, I think this is the matchup again two players it's golfers to a two is going up against the worst defense in the nfl you know tyreek hill jalen waddle they're gonna have a lot of opportunity to put up really big fantasy points as well as just big statistical game in general against the lions and i think golf you know amin ra possibly maybe it's tj shark tj hawkinson uh, Jamal Williams, same thing. You're going to go up against a defense where you can actually perform again. It's been weeks since we've seen this Lions offense operating at that number two rank in the NFL, which they were at. Yeah. But, you know, feel comfortable starting Goff, feel comfortable starting Jamal Williams. And, and if Amon rise out, I think this is a big week for TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, I think on the flip side, too, this is a big week for Tua. He looked a little rusty against the Steelers. He looked great to start the game, but didn't finish well at all. He should have had like four interceptions. The Steelers dropped a million interceptions. Um, Tyreek's got to have a big game. Tua's got to have a big game. That offense has to get clicking, or you're going to start seeing question marks about them, McDaniels, because in the Dome against Detroit, I mean, the over should hit in this game, right? The Dolphins should. What do you got the spread at over there? Uh, it is sitting at 51 and a half. What about the, the line on the game? Uh, it is Miami minus three and a half. Minus and then three money and a half. line Detroit is money line plus 145. Yeah, I mean, that's not surprising to me, man. Like, I could see that game being an absolute shootout, right? I like the over early in that, right? I could see both teams scoring four touchdowns each, uh, which will obviously blow that thing over. But yeah, man, I think this is almost a bigger test for Tua for the Miami Dolphins because if they don't get right against Detroit, it's going to be tough for them. You know, you got the Bills moving forward. There's a lot of good teams in the AFC. They got to stay afloat. They were the they were the big undefeated team to start the year. Have the shitty situation with Tua getting hurt, getting banged up. You don't need the Jets passing you up. You don't need a lot of these other teams that are getting hot passing you up. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you look at it from Detroit's defensive perspective here, their secondary is absolutely atrocious. I think their only yeah, hope is to, is to send seven against Tua, you know, immediately in all game, just overwhelm him and force him into shorter throws of guys that are probably wide open. Um, because Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, if, if you give them any time in the pocket with, for Tua, they're going to eat this secondary alive which ultimately is going to give Goff more time on the clock to execute. You know, again, over, I think, is an easy one here. Um, next game, Matt, is, in all honesty, um, I have to admit I was really sleeping on the Cardinals' defense. Before last Thursday's game, I was speaking at work, and I was kind of laughing at someone that was mm. like, you know, the Cardinals' defense was good. Um, but I think what we're starting to see is some of these younger players start to come into – not more veteran roles, but more comfortable roles. Uh, I think Simmons is a player that I'm highlighting there. I think Byron Murphy is a guy that I, I'm a little more comfortable in. But I still don't think they're a top 10 defense by any means. No. I do think there are playmakers. And I think that's where the matchup comes in for me this week. Those playmakers playing against Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Minnesota Vikings. 
What's your thought of this Cardinals defense playing in Minnesota this week? I mean, it's a statement game, right? I I mean, you could hear from my reaction when you said, oh, I don't think they're top 10. Like, no, they're not, in my opinion, right? But for some reason, having DeAndre Hopkins just on the field, on the sideline for that team brought new energy, new life. Now, with that being said, I think the Saints are a bad team. I think they're a poorly coached team. I think that defense is washed and old and not the team that I thought they would be coming into the season. So I don't necessarily think that that's a good sample size. I also think that the one pick six was not um, a result of good defense. It was a result of bad offense. Even the second one, you can make that argument, but I'll still give them that. I still am not a believer in the Arizona Cardinals. I'm a believer in DeAndre Hopkins. I like him. I don't think Kyler's good. I think he's talented. So we'll see, man. Like, I think this is a massive statement game for the Cardinals. If they can go into Minnesota, who is five and one, leading the division off a of bye and somehow win that game, I'll put a little more respect on their name. But as of right now, I think the Vikings are going to smoke them. I like the Vikings by a lot this weekend. I will probably put a ticket in for the Vikings because I just don't believe in Arizona going into a hostile environment, stopping Jefferson. Like, I just don't. Yeah, and and Cook, too. I mean, the the line right yeah. now is at Minnesota minus three and a half. Over-under is at 49. Uh, the over-under I'd probably stay away from, but that three and a half I, I like. Um, and I think you said it best. This is a, a show-me test game. I think the same thing for the Vikings, though. You know, you're supposed to be this five-and-one dominant team of the NFC North. You better come out and win by 10 points in this game. Uh, because again, the Cardinals have had struggle all season long. Last week was the first time they really showed up against the Saints. And that kind of brings us to our next game. We have Saints Raiders. This has been the Josh Jacobs season, Matt. Um, yeah. I did not see it coming. And I kind of joked earlier this week that, you know, word was out in training camp right when we were drafting that he may not even be the starter. He have maybe had lost fortune in that running back room with this new offensive regime. And here he is putting up 28, 30, 31 points a, a week in fantasy. And he gets to play this pathetic Saints team. What do you think he's going to do this week? Yeah, man, I don't know. It's it, it's in my opinion, it might be this shocker of the fantasy season, man. I, I was kind of a big Jacobs hater. Uh, he's glass. He always gets hurt, right? And they never lean on him. And they're leaning on him. And he's carrying that team right now. He is the leader of that offense. Everything is running through him. Ever since the game against the Denver Broncos, man, he's been the one to kind of take a grasp on that offense and take the pressure off Carr. You know, we talked about Rodgers and Brady early on. Lean on the run game. Lean on some of your playmakers. Don't have to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game. And then, oh, what happens is it opens up the field for Devontae Adams, man. And it gets him into more favorable matchups and more favorable coverage. And obviously, that's going to help everyone. Um, Josh Jacobs has been an absolute stud. He's a top three fantasy running back right now. He's probably a top five running back as of right now in the National Football League. He's running hard. He's making good decisions. He's making good reads with the ball in his hands. And he's the only reason the Raiders are two and four right now. It has nothing to do with Carr. It even has not that much to do with Devontae, which is shocking for me to say because I'm a huge Devontae homer. Well, and what this brings up to me is the same conversation we had last year, the same conversation I think we had three weeks ago. Teams need to run the goddamn football. I, I yeah. really don't understand 
how a team can even get away from running the football. You look at what the 49ers just gave up for Christian McCaffrey. That in itself should tell you how valuable a running back position is in the NFL in today's game and was even 10 years ago before we got into this absolutely ridiculous air raid offense system that we see from the Bills, from the Chiefs, right? From what Green Bay used to be. Like this is a this is a core foundation for a good football team is to run the ball and control the clock and control your field, everything. And how many teams are not doing it, right? Green Bay's not doing it. The Buccaneers are not doing it consistently enough. The Saints are not doing it consistently enough. And here the Raiders are with their, their season possibly being slowly turned around because Jacobs is just being able to be the volume guy and doing it efficiently. Uh, kudos to him, man. I was the same way. I was a complete sleeper on Josh Jacobs. 100%. All this season, most of his career, because he just came out of college without that volume, and I just never assumed he was going to be able to get it back. Yeah, I agree with uh, you. All right, Matt, we are uh, we're going to bypass a couple games here. Looks like we are coming into the 49ers at Banger. LA Rams, Banger. 425 on Fox. You like to say this. You like to say in incorrect ways, uh, the 49ers have the Rams number, which they do. You've always been right mm -hmm. about that. And I've never really bought into that. Um, I think I'm buying into it. And I think I'm really excited to see what Christian McCaffrey can do in week two against the Rams. I think I'm really excited to see what this 49ers defense is about to do to Matt Stafford. Uh, we open up with a one and a half point favorite for the 49ers. What are you thinking about this game? What are some matchups you like? Well, this is huge for the Niners defense. They've gone two weeks in a row getting embarrassed, right? They lost one of their starting corners for the season. Bosa's banged up, right? This isn't the same defense that the Niners had, what was that, four weeks ago when they mm -hmm. beat the beat the Rams Monday night. Um, so this is a massive test for this 49ers team. Um, this is a massive test for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. As I put on our page, man, I think this move for McCaffrey was more about them than it was about the team. They realize that their window is now. Their window was last year, honestly, when they were in the NFC Championship game, and they're just crawling to get back to that position. The NFC West is wide open, and this game is going to determine a lot for what happens in the coming weeks. The NFC West could be won or lost, what is that, Sunday afternoon? Because mm -hmm. now, if the Niners win, they have both games over the Rams, so they have the tiebreaker over the Rams. The Niners have games against Seattle coming up. And then on the flip side, if the Rams can't figure out their offensive line issues, if the Rams can't figure out how to get Allen Robinson the damn ball, and if they can't figure out how to run the ball with Daryl Henderson now that Cam Akers is basically out of town, what are the Super Bowl champions? They're probably going to be in the same spot we're in as Packer fans. They're going to be nervous. They're going to be probably out of the playoffs, man. A lot of these teams that we thought were elite are pretenders. And this game, in my opinion, is the biggest game of the weekend because if San Francisco can win this game, A, it shows that we have positivity for this Christian McCaffrey trade because he'll be a big part of why they win the game. And B, it'll show that their defense can still perform without a couple key guys. Well, yeah, and it's. I think the big takeaway here too is this may not even be a nail in the coffin for the the Rams, which I would love for it to be. But we've talked at nausea about this NFC West and how much battling there's going to be. Um, and regards to the Rams and Packers, like I have more faith in Rodgers than I have Stafford, but they have Cooper Cup, they have Allen Robinson, Henderson, okay, right, fine. Uh, he's but fine. there are a lot. He's fine. A lot of question marks there. Um, I really, really, really hope that the 49ers can get this done. 
um, you know, OBJ is going to have, they're going to have no choice, but to pay him whatever he wants to come in and change this offense. But honestly, I don't think it matters. Stafford is hurt. Uh, and, I don't think that changes most of the season. So for me, this is, you're right, primetime game, right? I know it's in the afternoon, but this is the game I'm going to be watching because McCaffrey's now had 10, 11 days with his playbook. You have to lean on him. You have to control this clock and you have to force Stafford into mistakes, which is exactly what they did the last time they beat him, right? Without McCaffrey, of course. So yep, 100%. very, very excited about this game. Um, the next game also has implications, right? It's going to be Giants at Seahawks. This is also an afternoon game uh, opening up with the Giants as three point underdogs over under 45 kind of having our notes here. The matchup takeaway Saquon against Walker. And I think that's going to be perfectly set. I think this is going to be dominated by the running backs. And I think Geno Smith is going to have a little bit to say, but the problem is DK Metcalf is questionable. I do not expect DK to play. Um, he did come out though and say he wants to practice this week. I think DK's questionable status is really going to hang things up for me because I would have said Seattle <laughs> easily without him or with him. Yeah, and it's it's Walker versus Saquon, but it's also Pete Carroll versus Dayball, right? Like this mm. to me is the coach of the year game right here. Um, not that it's going to be one in week eight, but these are the two best coaches in football right now. You got to give Pete Carroll his flowers, man. If you're not giving him credit for what he's done with this team, motivating them, what he's done to empower Geno Smith and the boys, um, I don't know what you're watching on Sundays, to be honest with you. Uh, so Dayball, Pete Carroll, the two misfit toy teams of the NFL season. And I think the reason I don't think that this game is as big as the Niners versus Rams is because for some reason, I still just don't believe in these teams, right? And what this game has is implications for the wild card spot. If both of these teams don't end up winning their division, this is a massive tiebreaker game, right? Now, going to Walker versus Saquon, believe it or not, Matt, I think Walker is going to be the reason Seattle wins this game. I think they're going to lean on the kid. I think they're going to put pressure on that Giants defense, and I think he's going to deliver. I think this Seattle defense is really turning it around. They're in Seattle, which is massive. And I think Ken Walker, that kid I saw at Michigan State, the guy that I'm like, man, he's almost better than Brees Hall, even though we love him coming out of the draft. I think this is the week where he puts the NFL world on notice that like, hey, man, I could be a top five back in this league. Well, yeah, I'm, I agree with you. What he did last week, almost 150 yards, couple touchdowns, uh, breakaway speed, the ability to have just elusiveness beyond what we see from most rookies. Uh, I think that's going to give him a little bit of favor in this game because the Giants do have a pretty good front. And if mm -hmm. you expect to just bash your way into that front and, and find your way out, you know, it's not going to be easy. He's got to work the edges. And I think he has the speed and the ability to do that. And that's going to force this for uh, this Giants defense into making corner tackles, safety tackles, you know, linebackers getting out, which is going to open up the field for Gino. And that's exactly the purpose of obviously running the ball as we bang the drum on it so much. <laughs> right. But you're right too with the head coaching matchup here. This is this has been great for Dave Ball. Carroll has done more with what he does have than other coaches in the NFL are doing with significantly easier and bigger tool chest. Um, I really do like Seattle in this game. Again, though, I want to see DK Metcalf play because you know Walker running is going to need uh, open space, and DK didn't get a chance to play much last week, and that knee injury is really concerning for me. I agree. Definitely an issue. All right, all right, Matt. It's time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna let you talk mainly about this green, game. Um, it's gonna be Green Bay <sighs> at Buffalo. Aaron Rodgers, first time in his career, is opening a week as a ten and a half point underdog. First time over ten points in his career, which I found very <sighs> interesting. Um, I think the Packers have a chance. I don't think you do. What are your thoughts? Um, let's start. Let's start on the defensive side of things here before I get to the offensive rant. Um, <laughs> the only way they have a real shot is if they can get pressure on Allen. They need to get to the quarterback, right? They need to get pressure on Josh with four or five guys. Now, on the flip side, can, well, I guess not on the flip side, but on that same side of the ball is. Can Jair hang with Diggs? Are we going to do what we did with Terry McLaurin last week and let Jair run around with him for a full game? I think it worked. You know, McLaurin got the best of Jair, but Jair played real tough against him, and I don't think it's a strategy to bail from. Can they get pressure on Allen? Can they contain Allen? Can they slow him down? That's part one, Matt. Part two is can you run the fucking ball and control the clock? 37 minutes the defense was on the field against Washington. If the defense is on the field, and they scored a touchdown, if the defense is on the field for 37 minutes against the Bills, they will lose by 30. They have to dominate the time of possession to have a chance. They have to feature Aaron Jones. Give him the damn ball 30 times run down their throat and control the line of scrimmage and control the time of possession. If they do that, maybe they win. But I don't think they will. Yeah, I think these teams actually match up more than people are giving them credit for, uh, at least from the Packers defense and the Bills offense. You talked about Alexander. I think that's absolutely on point. Um, Stokes playing Gabriel Davis. What we've, what have we seen from Davis so far this year? Deep it's down the field presence. Okay, well, Stokes is our burner, right? He has that makeup coverage that most cornerbacks do not have. I think that pairs very well. I think uh, McKenzie could be an X factor in this game. How does Douglas play him? Is it Douglas on him, right? Or is Stokes on him? I think that third wide receiver is going to be a really big play in this game. Um, But I think the biggest takeaway for me is going to be this Bills defensive line, this Bills defensive front rush, the rotational rush. Uh, You have to allow them to bring blitz and you have to run the ball. It's got to be the takeaway. You said it used used Aaron, uh, used Jones to kind of cement yourself and keep the the play clock in your your favor. But Aaron's got to be able to open up some uh, play action in this game. He's got to lean on Bobby Tunyon in the middle of the field. But I do think this game will be closer than expected. And I actually like Green Bay at 10 and a half. Um, do I think they're going to win this game? I don't. I, I, I think they have a chance. But I think we probably lose by a touchdown only because our defense is able to keep it close. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the season. You know, like yeah. it is what it is. I thought coming into this game, worst case scenario, the Packers would be four and two. Um, that's that's what I thought after the Tampa win. Yeah. And that's what I thought. I was like, hey, we should probably be five and one going into Buffalo, maybe four and two, right? Here we are. We're three and four. We lost all the must win games. This is the game no one expects you to win. 
season's on the line here. If you lose five games, you're not making the wild card, and you're also not going to win the division. So this is it. This is it right here. Well, I don't say, you know, I I think if you lose seven games, you still have a shot at making the wild card because that finishes I don't you know. off at 10 and 7. Um, the Giants, as I said, 5 and 1, I think there's a lot to still fall off. But you look at Tampa, same record. Dallas. You know, the Ram, Rams aren't close. Yeah, sure, Dallas is there, but you know, there's, there's still two wild card teams. Um, so... I, I do think they need to win this game, but I don't think the season is over. I think what happens is if you lose this game, you can lose maybe one or two more. And looking at the future schedule and how they've performed so far, that's we're going to lose three or four. Um, on top of that, we have to play Dallas. That's a concern. But uh, we got to play more... Dallas, got to play Philly. Yeah. Got to play the yep. Vikings again. Yep. It's looking bleak, pal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the whole season has, right? I think there's no way around that. But with that being said, too, the Giants and the Cowboys have to play each other. Like these other teams still have to play. Um, and again, I will say it like battle tested for Green Bay. We haven't had to be battle tested in the regular season for how many years now? This will be a really good opportunity. If they can beat the Bills, I think I will, I think my confidence will have swung the opposite way again where I feel like, hey, we're a wide receiver away from possibly being a good offense again. But again, Packers have to make that move. We have one final game, and I expect it to be an absolute blowout. It is Monday night's game. The Bengals are traveling to Cleveland to play the very, very depressing Cleveland Browns. And actually, surprising line to start the week. It's uh, Bill, or excuse me, the Bengals minus three and a half. And I think that's just kind of outrageous. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's just this classic primetime shit that we've been having. <clears throat> you know, the Patriots just lost to the Bears on primetime. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's why you have this blind hope for Green Bay going into a Sunday night game. Like all the lights are on. Guys don't like to be embarrassed. And look, some teams are more desperate the other than others. A team that season might be over is the Cleveland Browns, right? Their division rivals coming in. They know them. I think what's been interesting for Cleveland is their defense has sucked. I thought their defense would be a lot better. I thought their defense would carry them um, throughout this season until, uh, what's his name, Watson got back. But obviously that hasn't been the case. They're a bottom They're a bottom half of our defensive team defending the pass, defending the run, and they have a team with arguably you know one of the best quarterbacks in football right now, one of the best wide receiving cores, and a really, really solid back coming into town. So I agree with you on paper. It feels like it should be a blowout, but I think Cleveland will hang around for a little bit. Can they get Chubb to control the game, right? Can they control the time of possession? Similar to what I said with Green Bay. That is their key to success. They have to make sure that they're in control of the ball, run the ball down the Bengals' throats, keep Burrow and Chase on the sideline, and they got to get home with Miles Garrett and the boys up front. If they can't get home, yes, they will get blown out, but... I don't think the line's outrageous, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm I'm happy to take the Bengals at three and a half. I, I think that's um, <laughs> I think that's a very very fair and friendly line. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You know, desperate. This is desperation week for a lot of teams. You know, fantasy owners. That was last week. That was the start of we can't, we can't lose. NFL is obviously a little different, right? Real season. Um, I think we're going to see some of that desperation now, and, and kind of going back to Packers Bills. 
uh, I'll relay the same thing as you do with the Browns. Like some of these teams are going to come out and absolutely have to win. Maybe we start seeing some of these defenses that we expected to be better actually playing a little bit better because they can play with more aggression because you've got to take the training wheels off now. Yeah, I agree. And they probably will. And look, dude, they have Nick Chubb. Like, dude, Chubb is he's a game changer, bro. And if they can get him going, if they can get Hunt going, try and bump Kareem Hunt's trade value up a little bit, you never know. But I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think they can guard. I don't think they can guard um, Chase. I don't think they can guard Higgins. But if they can get pressure on the quarterback, they have a shot to win. That's the key to beating the Bengals is can you get Burrow under duress? Can you get him not confident to stand back there for three to five seconds and hit these guys on these deep balls? Because if he can, what's going to happen is like what happened to Atlanta last week. And the dude's going to throw for 225 in the first quarter. Well, and this is kind of my low-key takeaway from the Christian McCaffrey trade. You just said it. Kareem Hunt is going is going to be gone if the Browns lose this Monday. I mean, he's gone. And you saw, you know, McCaffrey get a two, a three, a four. Um, kind of ridiculous haul. I think Kareem Hunt is given a feature role as a top 10 running back in this league. I agree. Very, very good pass catcher. Uh, he proved it with Kansas City before, you know, the allegations. Browns lose this week. Kareem Hunt might be the best addition after Christian McCaffrey in the right offense. I agree. I don't know what team. I've been thinking about what team would be good for him. I'm still not 100% sure. I'm starting to think the Ravens, dude, but that's in the division, and they won't trade him into the division, you know? But, man, I'm just trying to think of what team he can make a really, really big impact on because he he can be. I agree with you. I think he could be. I honestly think he could be top five, bro. Like, he is really, really good. He just hasn't had the opportunity. Bro, you said it earlier, and this isn't going to you know, make fantasy owners happy, nor is it going to make Kareem Hunt happy. There is one singular team that if they lose their running back, they completely fold, and that's the New York Giants. If they lose Saquon, they have nothing behind That's a good them. point. They have to go and safety net their season and their entire offensive foundation and go and get Kareem. If it costs a second round pick, you have to go get him. But outside of that, Every team's pretty much stacked up. We've talked about the Philly, uh, about Philadelphia, about the Eagles, Sanders, and Gainwell. I think that's pretty matched up. You, know, you look at Dallas, they've already got their pair. Um, maybe the Bills. I think the Bills could be a really fun spot for Kareem, and you're not yeah. trading him you know, essentially to a contender where you're battling out a wild card spot. So I could see the Bills making a sneaky move. Um, or possibly the Rams. If the Rams can beat the 49ers and feel confident about their season, yeah, they need to start running back. So we have some teams just off the top of my head, um, but dude, I'm telling you, the Giants, like you, you have the momentum. You got to keep it in, in Cream Hunt at least save. Like it's a safety net approach. Yeah, what am I? It's 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 got to be the Rams. Well, I'll see you in LA in a few well, weeks. Or or Bills. Because why why wouldn't the Rams do it though? You know, like. Yeah. They don't give a shit about their draft picks. They need a running back. Like it's not like oh, it'd be nice to have one. They need one. Like there's no debate on that, you know. So we'll see you in LA, pal. What what uh, what was I thinking? Uh, dude, I just I feel like the Rams have a bunch of seventh round picks. Like you know, in Madden, when you trade all your draft picks for superstars, that's like true. That's, that's the Rams. True. Like, and then you go draft time, you go and you're like, oh, I have a, a six, and I oh, have that's a right. that's seven next year. <laughs> like, so. I would say right now, if I were to guess, Kareem Hunt, I think he's a bill. I think they have the draft picks. I think we haven't seen the same kind of traction out of um, Cook that we thought we would. And you put Hunt on that offense, oof. You know, it's not Brees Hall, but it's close. 
Everybody, thank you so much for joining us this week. We will catch you guys next week for week nine. We'll have a couple World Series games done. Probably maybe something in basketball going on. Who knows? It's not quite that time. Yeah, everyone hates Russell Wilson or Russell Westbrook, excuse me. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Matt underscore guest, Matt Morris at Matt underscore E underscore Morris on Twitter. You can find our podcast at PitcherBet Sports on TikTok and then PitcherBet Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We will see you guys next week. Catch us live on TikTok uh, on Sundays before and after the games. And throughout the week, we're still trying to figure that out. But we'll get there later, guys. Later.